So the gospel that we have here is the absolute cornerstone of the Catholic faith. It's the money verse, if you will. There's no other verse in all of scriptures that the Catholic faith draws and is more rooted on than this verse. This whole passage. John chapter 6. The bread of life discourse. John chapter 6. And especially this particular section. John 6, 51 to 58 seems to be the most controversial. Maybe you've heard me in a previous homily. I mentioned how I, I ran into a, a, a Protestant preacher, and he called this verse the vampire verse. You know, where you drink blood and, and eat flesh. Very, and it, it's very common that people see that. In fact, for the longest time, and whenever, whenever Christianity first emerged, we looked, and, and other people looked upon Christianity, and yeah, just all of Christianity, as cannibals. Why? Because every Sunday they'd get together and eat the flesh of a man. And that's why for years, and actually for about, actually really for about 500 years, you could not stay inside this church if, during the liturgy of the Eucharist unless you're a fully professed Catholic. Baptized, confirmed, all this other stuff. You were absolutely not allowed. In fact, if you look at these old missals before the Second Vatican Council, you'll see there's two different masses. Mass of the Catechumens, which is up to this point, up to the homily, and then Mass of the Faithful. That's the Mass where there's the Eucharist. Why? Because you don't, it can be easily misinterpreted as just a symbol or just something that we just do and not actually seen as the, blood, the body and blood of Christ up here, unless you're fully professed. So they did that to kind of preserve Eucharistic integrity. That being said, though, let's dive into this verse a little bit. This verse teaches us four things about the Eucharist. The first thing is kind of the sacrifice of the Eucharist. Now, a lot of people look at this verse and look at the whole practice of the Eucharist and do find it a little odd. Why are we eating a man? Sounds a little strange, right? Why are we eating a man? And the way we, we, the way we can see this, the way we kind of interpret this, is the very first chapter of John. Whenever John is baptizing Jesus, what does he say? He says, behold the Lamb of God. Behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Now, whenever he says that, he's hearkening back to the image of the Lamb used in the Old Testament. And what was a Lamb used in the Old Testament for? But for sacrifice. And namely, namely the sacrifice of the Hebrew people whenever they were leaving Egypt. We've all heard about the curses. We all know about the curses of Pharaoh. You know, he sinned against Moses. And the last curse was God was going to go and send the angel of death and strike down every single firstborn of the land. Cattle, goats, people. All firstborn, dead. And the way you are passed over from this curse is you would take a lamb, you would drain it of its blood, take the cup of its blood, spread it over the, your doorpost, and then you would roast the lamb. And what would you do? You would eat the lamb. That was how you finished the sacrifice. It wasn't enough just to spread the blood over the doorpost. It wasn't enough just to kill the lamb. It wasn't enough just to roast the lamb. But you had to eat the lamb if you were going to participate in the sacrifice, if you were going to be passed over from death. The fact of the matter is, that worked very well. And for, for a while, these Hebrew people's deaths were delayed a little bit longer, but they died anyway. Kind of like what Jesus said. They, you know, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Unlike your ancestors who ate and still died, 
Whoever eats this bread will live forever. That's the point. That, that Passover meal right there in Egypt was but a small foreshadowing of what the Eucharist is for us. Very, very small, but it shows us why we are eating the Eucharist versus anything else. Why we are actually eating. And that's what, that's what Jesus meant whenever he said, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man. Eat. Like gnaw. Not like consume. Not like get all like, you know, we unite ourselves. No, I'm talking like bite your teeth into this raw flesh and chew. That's why these people were like, what the heck is this guy talking about? This is crazy. That's why so many people left. And Peter, and he looked at the apostles and he said, what are you going to do? Are you going to stay or are you going to leave? That's for another point. Let me get to that point. I'm going to get ahead of myself. Okay. Second point. Jesus Christ, and what he shows us is that the bread isn't just a sacrifice. Excuse me. The Eucharist is not a, just a sacrifice, but it's the bread of life. And what he compares his body to is the manna in the desert. We've all heard about the wanderings of the desert, the exodus. So the Hebrew people, Hebrew people get through Egypt, Red Sea parts, they go. Foo! All right. And then the chariots come and then they, you know, they try and go catch them. You know, hey, we're going to go catch them. And then what happens? God floods the Red Sea and they all die. Goodbye. Bye sin. All right. That's what happens during baptism. It all just washes away. And then the Hebrew people are wandering around the desert for 40 years. They're like the Hikari Indians. Any of y'all know about the Hikari Indians? I've heard about the Hikari Indians. Okay. Let me tell you about the Hikari Indians. If you walk through the woods, even to this day, you'll sometimes find some Indians. Now, these Indians are a lost tribe. Literally, they're lost. And the way they got their name is every time you run into these Indians, they say, we the Hikari. Where the heck are we? <laughs> I know. There's your corny joke for the day. Okay. So these Hebrew people were like the Hikari Indians, wandering around, can't find anything, whatever. But God sustains them nonetheless. God sustains them nonetheless, and he sustains them with manna. And yet, even with, the, even with, with bread from heaven, so bread would come down from heaven, they would eat of the bread, and they would live at least until they got to the promised land. And that's the image that we can have. That's what the Eucharist is for us. It gives us life so we can continue on to the promised land. But there's another point here, the thir a third point. And that is, if the first point is sacrifice, second point is Eucharist is food, third point is Eucharist, the Eucharist is real. The Eucharist is real. And that's what this verse is all about. You see, the manna was real. The lamb that Moses slaughtered, wasn't some kind of like vegan tofu lamb. Like this is like a real lamb that he killed. These things are real. And the thing is, Jesus Christ in this gospel passage emphasizes the realness of this message. Whenever he says, you have to eat my flesh, this the Greek word is not, cannot be interpreted in any way symbolically. The Greek word is like, is like, is like more like what wolves do to deer. I mean, it, was, it is like a graphic word. And the reaction is very negative from the Jews, which is something that Jesus usually clears up in the Gospels. You can look in the Gospel of Matthew 18, and he'll, he mentions some, some story. I can't remember it off the top of my head, but he remembers, he mentions a, a story. People are all confused, and he says, 
It's just a metaphor, guys. It's a parable. But he doesn't do that here. People leave. Bye-bye. Done. Finish. Out of here. And he lets them go. He could have cleared it up. He could have said, look, hey, guys, 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 it's a symbol. Relax. No big deal. Didn't do that, though. And that's why, that's why he turned to his disciples afterward and said, are you two going to leave? Are you two going to go? Are you two going to depart from me? And they say, Who, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? And that's the reality. The Eucharist is real. This really is the body and blood of Christ. This is not a symbol. It really is. It, it undergoes something called transubstantiation. Where whenever the priest utters those words, those sacred words, this is my body, this is my blood. And if that bread is real bread and that wine is real wine, changes right then and there. Which leads to our, first, our fourth point. And that is the validity of the sacrament. The validity of the sacrament. Now, I wasn't going to talk about this, but I figured, you know what, why not? I've gotten myself in enough trouble already, let's keep going. So, we've all probably seen in the news over the past few weeks some less than ideal situations in the church. And you can read about it, the Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report came out with 70 years worth of abuse. You can read about, you know, all the kind of the corruption that's been going on and all the stuff that's going unveiled. Honestly, it doesn't bother me. Here's why, for two reasons. One, I'm in the Navy. And the way we do things in the Navy, if you mess up, you're going to get that published in, in the Navy Times. The Navy Times is the newspaper that basically the officers know, look, we can slap you on the wrist or we can put your name out there and utterly humiliate you. And that'll usually keep you in check, which is why the Navy Times is nicknamed. It's actually not called the Navy Times. It's called the Navy Crimes. But my point being is that that is a manner of doing things and a manner of doing things that we just haven't done. It's not been our style to, you know, kind of air our dirty laundry, which because of that is kind of molded in the, in the laundry basket, if you know what I'm saying. It's caused worse mildew, it stinks even more, and it's awful. But now finally it's coming out. And this is the point. This is what I want us to really remember. Is that whenever we talk about priests, whenever we talk about bishops, whenever we talk about popes, we are not talking about chefs in the kitchen. We aren't. The one chef, the one cook, the one person that prepares the food is God. On this altar is not a priest's body. On this altar is not a pope's body. On this altar is not the bishop's body. This is Jesus' body. And if that's the case, if, as St. Augustine described it, if God is the one cooking, preparing the food, whether it's the sacrament, whether it's doctrine, whether it's dogma, whether it's whatever, then that makes the Pope, the priests, bishops, his waiters. That's who we are. We're waiters. If you want to look at it like, you know, in a, in a, in a bigger way, the Pope is the head waiter. His bishops are his ally head waiters along with him. And they're just as human as the rest of us. Whenever we look and we call the church one holy, 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 holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, we're not talking about ourselves here. Let's face it, guys, we ain't that holy. That's why I have a lot of business in that confessional. In fact, if you need to come after Mass, let me know. My point being, we're not that holy. 
What we need is the holiness of the church, her sacraments, her doctrines, her dogma. And that's the stuff that we, that, that we as priests are called to wait on, are called to deliver. Now, sometimes priests don't deliver the full meal. Sometimes they don't like what God's cooking up, so they kind of throw this aside and just deliver this or throw that aside. It seems like lately we've been serving a lot of dessert and not enough you know, meat and potatoes. And that's what's been going on. That's why we're in the situation that we're in. But my point being is that it seems to me, and we're going to get more into this on a later date, that that tide is being turned. And that we can continue to turn this tide if we continue to pray and continue to be open about the humanity of the priesthood. And recognize, like, look, we fit into the category of you guys. I am not, Rene Pelletier is not the one that makes the church holy. Jesus is the one that makes the church holy. But, me, I don't really, I'm not really included, but any, any other priest, any other priest, no matter what's, what crimes he's committed, no matter what evil he has done, no matter what, if he gets at that altar and he holds in his hand real bread, he holds in his hands the chalice of real wine, and he utters those real words, this is my body, this is my blood, no matter what his character is, no matter what he's done, that changes. That's why I want to emphasize the validity of the sacrament. Jesus really shows up, no matter what the vessel is. Water, whether it flows through a copper pipe or a gold pipe, still comes out water. And that's what's coming down from heaven. The same applies to confession, same applies to every other sacrament we have. Is that if we do our job by just simply saying the words and having the right matter, Jesus Christ shows up. And that's the message I think we could all learn from at the end of the day. Is that we come together in this church not because of a pope, not because of a bishop, certainly not because of a priest. We come for one man, and his name is Jesus Christ.